Feel Good Hemp is the first and only brand to offer high-quality CBD oil products alongside a free platform that offers proven self-help and self-healing techniques, all to help you feel good naturally. Feel Good Hemp was started by Noah and his wife, Danielle, after they used hemp oil and other techniques to save Noah's father from a terminal cancer diagnosis. Now, I heard this story firsthand when I interviewed Noah. It's a real good one, and it's probably the most heartfelt and compelling story I've ever heard about why someone started a CBD company. So Feel Good Hemp is more than just a great place to buy CBD products. It's actually a community of like-minded souls committed to feeling good and doing good. So use coupon code GENIUS33 at checkout to save a third or 33% site-wide on your first purchase. Visit feelgoodhemp.org to shop now and access their free empowerment platform. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Aiden Ozken. He's uh, what's called the Chancellor's Professor and HHMI Professor. We're going to be talking about virtual histology. So I guess looking at the condition of tissues uh, virtually and not, uh, you know, all in person, but uh, we'll get into the details shortly. So. Thanks for coming. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. How about you? Good, good. Well, tell me about uh, your background. How did you get into this area of work? And then I want to ask you about your current work. Sure. So by trading, I'm an engineer. I studied electrical engineering. And after, you know, after my PhD, I, I uh, moved into biomedical applications of uh, engineering, specifically the use of light, optics, photonics, and how it can be used for uh, microscopy for imaging samples all the way from very small things like viruses to bigger scale features of tissue, organs. So I'm interested in general applications of light for biomedical uh, biomedical uh, studies, diagnostics, uh, pathology. And this recent work that you were referring to uh, is around the use of AI machine learning on improving imaging microscopy in pathology, and specifically uh, virtual staining. If you want, I can expand what virtual staining means, uh, because uh, some of our listeners might not be available, uh, aware of essentially what it means. Well, well, all right. I don't know if they're aware of histology itself. What is it? How is it used? What's, how is it currently done? What's it used so, for? Well, almost anyone at some point will give a biopsy, right? So basically, uh, to understand disease, to diagnose disease, we give biopsies uh, routinely. A biopsy is a chunk of tissue taken from body. What happens to that tissue uh, in a lab is not very, uh, you know, commonly understood by patients. So it's it's good to understand that. So that tissue is thin section, meaning that imagine a tiny chunk of tissue which is cut into very thin layers, as thin as approximately one millionth of a meter. So very thin slices are put on a glass slide. And uh, if you take that thin section of tissue to understand um, disease processes at the subcellular cellular level, uh, you need to look at under a microscope. 
uh, to see those uh, small scale features at the micron level, at, at the level of, again, one millionth of a meter, uh, you can't see them because thin sections of tissue are transparent. That's the reason why for the last century, in fact, more than a century, medicine and diagnosticians have been using literally dyes to color the uh, tissue under a microscope so that those features of disease or healthy state of tissue can show contrast for diagnosticians to evaluate all forms of cancer. Yeah, one quick question here. So you said a thin enough slice of tissue is transparent. Is that one cell thick? And why is it transparent? Is it because the features of the tissue are sub-visible light dimensions? So at that scale, the tissue becomes like basically uh, like gloss because it's so thin that it does not absorb or scatter light enough for it to reveal. Of course, you cannot see through thick tissue, right? And But when you cut it so thin to be able to look at a different cross-section within the bulk of tissue, it becomes like gloss because it does not absorb light enough or scatter light enough. And that's the reason why traditional light microscopy needed, as I said, for the last century plus, uh, dyes to show different features of tissue and subcellular features to be painted, uh, so to speak. And under a microscope, it becomes a colorful image for diagnosticians to uh, basically uh, assess the state of tissue. Is there a name for the transition thickness zone between opacity and transparency? And is that useful if you're somehow able to selectively slice tissue at just the right thickness so that it's not opaque, but it's not transparent? So uh, tissue, uh, uh, when it becomes uh, more than, you know, uh, several tens of microns, it starts to scatter light. And uh, anything that is, let's say, more than a few hundred microns thick would be blocking and absorbing light. So, but traditional way to look at features clearly is not to section it uh, uh, into thick tissue like that. It's actually very thin, typically under 10 microns, a few microns thick traditionally, so that you can actually see features clearly. And, and with the help of stains, with the help of these dyes, these features are visible to diagnosticians under a microscope. So this process, as I said, is what's happening for the last century. But this is a laborious process. Literally, a histotechnologist uh, is doing this staining. And depending on the tissue and stain combination, this process takes quite a while. A few hours, sometimes uh, more than a day, depending on, again, tissue stain combination. So my work uh, at UCLA used AI to change the staining process to be label-free, dye-free, meaning that most of the work of the histotechnologists, when they process a biopsy, is staining actually using chromophores, dyes to stain. We replaced that entire staining process with a neural network, with a convolutional neural network that basically looks at a native state of tissue without any dyes, without any uh, staining process, and takes an image of the tissue using an autofluorescence or fluorescence microscope. What that means is instead of using basically dyes to stain it, stain the tissue, we take the same thin section that is transparent, we shine light to it, and in response to that uh, light, the tissue actually, uh, the native state of tissue, 
emits a different color of light. And this is called fluorescence, autofluorescence, in the sense that in itself, the tissue has some fluorophores embedded within itself that emits light, uh, fluorescence light. So we take those fluorescence images of native tissue, that is thin section, and train a neural net that exactly mimics what the histotechnologist does to tissue. And by using numerous tissue samples, we train a neural net to replicate the same staining process so that without actually putting toxic chemicals on, on the tissue sample of a biopsy, we can actually transform those um, uh, label-free, stain-free images into images that are equivalent to uh, biopsied and stained tissue, bypassing the entire process. So this is enabled by basically uh, uh, deep neural networks. I understand the processing part, you know, the AI processing part, but what about the actual measuring? How do you get, you know, a tissue sample to fluoresce without tagging it? Are you hitting it with electrons of certain, you know, energies, you know, and mass and rastering over the surface and looking at the scattering or the, uh, you know, the emitted photons or like, how are you capturing this information even before the interpretation of it? Supplementing with hemp CBD products is one of the best things you can do for your overall wellness or to improve conditions like chronic pain, sleep issues, anxiety or depression, or other conditions related to inflammation. Feel Good Hemp offers high-quality CBD oil products alongside a free platform of proven self-help and self-healing techniques, all to help you feel good naturally. They're offering our listeners a very generous 33% off their first purchase. Use the coupon code GENIUS33. At checkout, and you'll save 33%. Visit feelgoodhemp.org to shop now and access their free empowerment platform. To create a fluorescence or the fluorescence image of unstained tissue, basically you, you take a standard microscope, a fluorescence microscope, and shine a visible light, something on the order of green to red, visible uh, light. That light is exciting existing molecules within tissue a soup of molecules uh, based, based on, for, for example, which tissue you're looking at. Those are uh, basically absorbing that visible light and uh, emitting a light that is at a slightly shifted wavelength, at a slightly uh, longer wavelength. Uh, and that wavelength gives us contrast uh, so that we can see different features of tissue, not in color, not in the format that diagnosticians are accustomed to seeing, but in a grayscale uh, format, black and white format, that you capture the intensity of autofluorescence uh, light from different parts, different pixels of a tissue. And that goes, that is fed into a neural net that gives colorful images as if basically uh, it's been stained. Think of it as, as this. Uh, you can take a black and white movie and you can color it, right? It's very much like that, except we're doing this at the micro scale, at the tissue level, so that those black and white movies re are, are referring to the autofluorescence images, microscopic autofluorescence images of label-free tissue. And the output images are what diagnosticians for the last century are accustomed to seeing in terms of when they send a biopsy to a lab, next day they get uh, a certain stained image. And this time, we get that instantaneously in the sense that as soon as we get the tissue into those thin slices, within a minute or two, you can actually get the virtually stained images ready for diagnosticians. That means 
the entire diagnostic workflow in a pathology lab, whenever you give your biopsy, becomes faster because you don't have to wait uh, for these stains. Sometimes more than one stain is applied on the same tissue. Let's say, imagine there is a patient admitted to a hospital, organ transplant rejection potential case, right? What happens is you take a certain uh, biopsy and then you stain it. You look at the, uh, after a couple of hours, look at the images. And then depending on what the diagnostician sees, he or she might request additional stains to be performed on the same biopsy. That entire process is a couple of days. So now all of that process is within the, the first 10 minutes that the diagnostician is looking at the case would be available. So it means faster. And it's also cost-effective because you're not using uh, a human's time, it's technologist's time, it becomes faster and cost-effective. And very interestingly, you also eliminate a lot of toxic compounds. All of those stains are actually quite toxic, and they generate quite a bit of uh, wastewater, millions of, of liters of wastewater that are being generated through the actual staining process. So you also make the entire histopathology workflow, the biopsy processing workflow, environmentally much more friendly uh, through, through a virtual right. staining process. Well, I would think that you're also uh, racing against the clock, but it's biological tissue. It's going to start dying and decaying. So if you're able to get this info in minutes and capture it instead of hours, even if the dye slows or stops the uh, decay process, I would think this would be much more robust. And you could see which much closer to what the actual living tissue did so since tissue is fixed, it's preserved uh, well, it doesn't decay. You can actually store a biopsy and retrieve it and uh, stain it even months after its, its biopsy. So a lot of uh, research, actually uh, pharma-related research, sometimes use existing biopsy samples taken months ago from the patient for, uh, for uh, staining purposes. So uh, from that perspective, uh, there is no problem. But from the perspective of retrieving the diagnostician's report and giving the final diagnosis back to the patient as soon as possible, saving lives and, and potentially uh, uh, avoiding, for example, unnecessary hospitalizations, et cetera, that's actually a time is of the essence. And the other very interesting thing that patients might not fully understand is a lot of times patients give unnecessary biopsy. The reason is this, every single actual staining process for a diagnostician to look at tissue under a microscope traditionally is a destructive process. You take tissue, slice it, and paint it, and it's gone. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's wasted tissue. It, you dis destroy tissue by that staining process. And if you need another, another analysis done on the same piece of tissue, you take another slice. That's the reason why quite a bit of patients have to give another biopsy because the diagnosticians through that process of investigation, they deplete tissue. They need more tissue. With virtual staining, by replacing those toxic chemicals with neural networks, we're also preserving tissue. That means you don't have to have unnecessary biopsies. Uh, you can actually preserve tissue, save tissue, and do multiplexed analysis on the same label-free autofluorescence image. Multiplex means for the first time, actually, you can have different types of stains, dyes, performed on the same cross-section for the first time, basically. Because every time the diagnostician wants a different stain to look at a different condition, 
it's coming from another part of the tissue. It cannot come from the same section because that section has been used for another stain. And that's, that's where it gets even, even better than the current workflow in histopathology and, and, and processing of biopsies because we can do multiplex stains on demand. Imagine the example between Blockbuster and Netflix. If you were to go to a Blockbuster, if you're old enough to remember those days, you would get a single CD or a cassette for a given movie. They were stored in, in those physical physical uh, uh, you know, uh, structures, uh, you know, cassettes, right? Tissue is like that today. Every uh, uh, patient's tissue is put on a glass slide and stored like that. That's Blockbuster and that's today's histopathology. Netflix changed the game because on demand, you can have access to any movie you want, right? If you stop a movie and start a new one, you can do that. And that's an amazing game changer. And that's actually how virtual staining and digital pathology is going to change things from a blockbuster. But, but to what, what does that mean? What does that mean? If you virtually reconstruct what a, a slice of tissue will look like, what are other ways that it can be done digitally that will show something different from the first method used? So the, the analogy here is this. If you want a certain tissue sample, that is stained with stain and then stain B, stain C. You have to go to today's histology lab and get glass physical tissue on it, put on a microscope and image. Stain A, a different glass slide. Stain B, a different glass slide. Stain C, a different glass slide, all of which needs to be imaged under a microscope. You go to the lab literally to get those physical glass slides, each of which think of it as a movie in a cassette. Now, digital, the Netflix version of digital pathology with virtual staining is like this. It's already stored. We have the autofluorescence images of tissue. If you are the diagnostician viewer, go to the console and ask for stain A, stain B, stain C, right? All of those are immediately retrieved from the same digital image without having any need for a cassette or going to the cassette store, the blockbuster location near the suite. So that's the game changer because enables the diagnostician on demand without having access to tissue or its gloss uh, tissue slide. You have access to infinitely many different stains if you want. There is a, that many stains. For the what does that mean though? What, what do those stains do, the different stains? What would you see in a given piece of tissue that you would see with one stain and not another? So different stains bind to different uh, tissue subconstituents. Uh, for example, can start to look at one type of stain, let's say HNE, which is the stain that is commonly used um, for almost any uh, analysis, including all kinds of cancers. Oftentimes, that's the faster stain that takes approximately two hours, let's say, uh, to create one. But depending on the condition, uh, diagnosticians would require additional spatial stains that highlight different parts of the tissue, different uh, morphologies and different pathologies better than the other. And that's why they, they like to, depending on the sequence of, of the workflow, they like to complement a basic stain like H&E with additional spatial stains. Joel Silver stain, PAS, Mason's. There are many, literally there are hundreds of uh, different kinds of stains that uh, are, are used. Some of them are more frequently used than others. Some of them are less frequently used. But depending on the case, depending on what the diagnostician wants to see, different types of dye stains 
would highlight different. On top yes, of that, the good thing, the good thing too, is that for a given piece of tissue, you could, you know, virtually stain it a hundred different ways. You don't have to, the, you know, like I'm sure some of these are exclusive so that if you stain a tissue with way one, you cannot go back and do number two. You'd have to use different but similar tissue, but this way you could use the exact same. That's exactly the reason why it also eliminates wasting tissue or unnecessary biopsies. Exactly what the, the, the thing that you highlighted, where if you stain it with stain A, you cannot restain it, uh, erase it, and then uh, stain it with stain B. You have to take another chunk of, another slice of tissue from the same biopsy, and then again and again and again. And that depletes that basically uh, destroys tissue so you have to call the patient again for an unnecessary biopsy now with well it's, not, it's state, not just that too it's not just that you know i could assume uh, someone's liver tissue that i'm uh, biopsied you know will be similar if i have to use another sample of it but this is literally the same sample so it would reduce variability because i'm literally or you're looking literally at the same tissue in different ways not different tissue that's similar and hopefully the same that is true. So you can, within the same tissue, if you take different cross-sections, there are different cross-sections, but it's the same bias. And that's the traditional workflow, which means that uh, tissue block represents the, the state of tissue. Different than this traditional workflow, on the same cross-section, as I've highlighted a couple of minutes ago, on the same cross-section, you can have multiple uh, stains performed digitally which is not possible today. If you want to perform multiple stains today, you're looking at the same tissue block, but different cross-sections, which still represents the, uh, the state of the disease and, and gives you uh, diagnostic accuracy. But for the first time, diagnosticians would be able to, with just you know, changing one stain to another, look at exactly the same cross-section of that uh, tissue block with different kinds of stains. So that's something that today diagnosticians don't have as part of their training because they don't have that kind of a, a technology. Every other stain comes from another section within the same biopsy uh, tissue block. So that essentially is, is another very exciting aspect. Yeah, this is really cool. Have, have you guys gotten to the point where you've taken, again, two histological samples from the same tissue and looked at traditional staining versus, let's say, 30 different methods of your virtual staining? And then compared what you can see and what you learned about a tissue versus traditional methods. Like, what do you see if you, what if you threw every staining method in the book at a particular tissue? What do you think you would see that would never normally be able to be seen? Basically, we have tested the efficacy, the success of virtual staining technology with various different organs and stain combinations. And we've done blinded testing with diagnosticians. Basically, We've taken different cases, uh, human tissue with different diseases, normal and different states of disease. And uh, we've given diagnosticians, board-certified pathologists, uh, a stream of images. Our images, virtually stained, mixed with uh, standard histology uh, uh, workflow, standard histochemical staining of the same tissue, corresponding to the same patients. They did not know which one is which. We asked them to evaluate the quality of the stains for different purposes, for different like subcellular features and membrane quality, this and that, nuclear features. So we asked them to look at the quality of the stains without knowing which is which. 
basically, we found that there is statistically no significant difference between our images and standard uh, workflow in terms of stain quality from the perspective of diagnosticians. At another level, we also asked them to diagnose the condition of the patient. So we compared basically what kind of diagnosis they achieve with our images versus the, the standard workflow. And we also found that from their perspective, it's basically identical. We, they, they, they do not basically uh, make mistakes with our uh, images more than the mistakes that they, they make with standard. So it's essentially statistically identical in terms of the eyes of the diagnosticians or certified diagnosticians are concerned. We've done also other kinds of tests where it's kind of kind of like a Turing test, like test where we've shown them images and asked them which one is is the chemical is stain and which one is fake or which one is you know having some artifacts that might be generated by another technique. In other words, we didn't tell them what is virtual staining, but we asked them, uh, can you differentiate the real Histochemical stained tissue from the other images. And basically, uh, they, they cannot, 50% of the time. It's like flipping a coin. So basically, they cannot understand the difference between standard uh, histochemical staining process versus, versus ours. Uh, but of course, um, one of the most exciting parts, parts that I see uh, is repeatability. That I see with virtual staining, we have an enormous repeatability, consistency. You may be wondering why this is important, because in clinical workflow, you, you imagine the, this actually stochemical staining must be repeatable, right? It must be consistent every time. The reality is not. If you ask diagnosticians, they would tell you a lot of stories how sometimes they send a biopsy to a lab and what they get is really garbage. It's, it's not usable for their diagnostic decisions. This happens quite, quite often. What happens then? They send another request for another uh, staining process. In some of the more exotic, difficult immunohistochemical staining processes, these are some of the staining processes that are more expensive and that take about 24 hours to, to create by a human. These are sometimes 30% of the time garbage. They cannot be used. How do I know this? Because in our comparisons, we, we were using basically state-of-the-art pathology labs as our ground truth is our comparison basis, right? We take tissue of different kinds for different patients and we apply our own virtual staining and then send the same label-free tissue to standard uh, histopathology labs for them to do their magic and stain them to, to compare. When I get those images, 30% of the time, some of those more difficult stains come entirely garbage, artifacts of human uh, processing. We eliminate those. And that's why virtual staining, in a sense, is symbiotic to diagnosticians. It's going to make their diagnosis faster, cost-effective, and more repeatable in the sense that it's not going to surprise them with poor quality, unacceptable stains. Because one of the best things about uh, a neural net is that it's going to do the same thing because, because it's highly repeatable in, in what it's trained for. So how would, you, how would this become the standard you know, even for starters, maybe this is done before staining as a quality control check that becomes required. And then in the future, no more staining. You just do this instead. What do you think that evolution is going to look like and how, what, will, what will it take for labs and mass to, to switch to this? So I think virtual staining will impact many different areas of uh, medicine. One of the first near-term impact that it's going to generate is actually drug development and uh, pharmacology. 
basically any FDA approved drug has to do toxicology testing. Uh, and these are done on animals. So one of the, I think, first immediate impact that virtual staining through autofluorescence of tissue will generate is to make those drug development-related animal research and toxicology studies to be virtually performed. This is something that I think are, we have data that shows animal tissue staining is also working beautifully well. Just like humans, animals, uh, tissue also autofluoresces, and in a consistent manner, it helps us replace those you know, standard uh, workflow that a pharma company has to go through the FDA process, has to generate those toxicology reports, they can be made using virtual staining. Faster uh, with preservation of tissue. Imagine an, uh, imagine a small um, a mouse, right? Some of the organs are tiny. So it would uh, perhaps be faster in uh, preserving tissue and making uh, maybe the use of less animals and, and uh, potentially accelerate the uh, uh, approval process of some of the drugs through virtual staining, also making it faster and, and more cost-effective to generate those data. I think pharmacology and um, generation of toxicology reports for different uh, drugs would be one of the most exciting aspects of virtual staining. In addition to this, I think teleconsultation, telepathology services. Imagine you have a primary diagnosis made with standard workflow, standard histology workflow generated a certain diagnosis. Oftentimes, there is a second opinion requested. A lot of the U.S. diagnosticians actually work with overseas hospitals and uh, insurance systems to give second opinion. They do not see the patient. They just see digital images of slides, biopsy slides. So those kinds of situations where you, you ask for second opinion uh, in addition to standard workflow would be another, I think, um, easier to handle case because uh, second opinion means there is already a standard workflow that generated the primary diagnosis and essentially a second confirmatory uh, analysis. And that's going to actually help telepathology reach to even even remotest parts of the world because you don't need histology labs, advanced histology labs with all the workflow, all the stain quality matrix, etc. One of the biggest issues that we see today is even in the United States, histology labs suffer from supply chain issues and repeatability issues. What I mean by supply chain is most of those actual toxic stains come from a few a few countries in the world, such as India. During COVID-19, what did we learn? Supply chain failed. What does that mean for histology? Those stains and the quality of those stains would be widely varying during COVID-19 or other you know, situations like, like this where supply chain is hurt. So as a result, you don't have to worry about you know, those toxic chemi- chemicals, their quality, and the quality of these technologists. Which is, which is hard to find in different parts of the world, right? They cannot prepare the tissue right for telepathology to kick in. But with virtual staying technology, I think the reach of telepathology services for second opinion would be uh, drastically increased, helping us to democratize, basically, access to advanced pathology and diagnostics uh, through, uh, through histology. Last question for now, what cost versus traditional methods? What does that look like so far, or you're not there yet? The cost is on the order of, so the cost basically is just 
consumption of energy uh, in a GP. Basically, even using expensive cloud-based AWS servers, it's going to be um, negligible uh, on the order of cents per slide, as opposed to basically you know, several dollars to, uh, in some cases, tens of dollars per slide. So because this, the, the, the current workflow involves toxic chemicals, waste of energy, waste of water, it's a, it's a very laborious and extensive process. It also involves human time, humanist technologies time. That's why it's costly. With our uh, virtual staining, that uh, cost will be the differential cost that we will add by taking out all of these uh, will be replaced with just basically GPU time, GPU time that you uh, you spend. And per slide, for a whole slide that's put on a glass slide, we can virtually stain it in about a minute or two, depending on the tissue uh, area. One to two minutes of GPU time. That's essentially the cost of it. Yeah, this is amazing. This technology this sounds really cool. What's the best way for people to learn more about it? And if anyone's listening that works in a lab or uses a lab frequency frequently, uh, how do they let the lab know that this technology is either available or soon will be? So obviously, this is uh, this is research coming out of a of a, of a university. So uh, it's not FDA approved for primary diagnosis. There's a startup company that we established in Los Angeles that is a, you know that's commercializing the, this this virtual staining technology. Its name is Pictor Labs. Pictor in Latin means painter. So basically, we're painting tissue, microstructure of tissue. So, and we are heavily uh, moving forward uh, to uh, streamline this so that it could be used uh, by, first of all, researchers. There's a lot of cancer-related research or other types of neuroscience-related research, cancer-related research that routinely uses stains uh, for animals, for human tissue, anything. So first of all, we believe that workflow, virtual staining workflow, will tremendously help researchers to advance uh, their, their research progress to be better, faster, enable new biomarker discoveries, etc. And, and in addition to this, I think we have made great progress to apply this technology to animal tissue and uh, um, some of the uh, companies that are working with pharma companies to, uh, to help their FDA process are also extremely excited to replace their current workflow to be digital and virtual staining based. So I think to look at the state of the art of uh, virtual staining uh, coming from from our lab, they can look at Pictor Labs uh, website to understand uh, where it is right now and where we're pushing it. Very good. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. And like I said, it's really, really, really cool what you're working on. I think it's going to be a huge game changer. And again, thank you for being here. Thanks for the opportunity. It was great uh, talking with you. Remember, before you go, supplementing with hemp CBD products is one of the best things you can do for your well-being. Get your CBD from a company that cares and offers you holistic support in your healing or wellness journey. Feel Good Hemp is giving our listeners 33% off their first purchase. You can use coupon code GENIUS33 at checkout to save 33% site-wide. Visit feelgoodhemp.org to shop now and access their free empowerment platform. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. 
This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.